Hi everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is September 8th, 2016. The Skiji fish market, the largest fish market in the world, was supposed to be moved to a nearby neighborhood called Toyosu. That movement has been delayed. This is a huge issue. Koike Yuriko, the governor of Tokyo, stepped off the airplane carrying triumphantly the Olympic flag to host the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. And before a day had passed, she had a press conference where she stated that she was going to delay this move. This is such a huge deal. We sent our producer and director down to Tsukiji directly to pick up some interviews and to see what's going on on the ground. Please take a look. これは大江さんが決めた風に従うのが僕らしょうがないことです。自分たちが使える場所はとても狭いんです。狭いのに敷地はとっても広かったです。その感覚がすごく納得ができない表現できないんですよね。自分が使うところは狭いんです。小さいんです。なのにそこまで行く時間がとても、というかとにかく敷地
土壌汚染がきれいになっていない証でありかつその市場の中に検出する機会まで今あのお気づきかもしれませんがあの時計がねここにもこうありますよね時計みたいに化学物質の検出器が置いてある市場なんてありえないじゃないですか。これで人様のの口に入るものをこんなところで扱っていいはずがないですし何より働いている大勢の社員さんたちの健康被害がどう及ぶかっていうことも説明受けてないんですね基準値以下だから大丈夫それはやはりあの安全面でとてもじゃないけど安心できないです東京オリンピックが決まった時点で東京都さんはもう急がれてまして11月7日にオープンしますんで全て工事もあの本店移転の手続きもそれから営業の許可書とかも,もうみんな終わらせてくださいってことを言われてるんですよでお金がすごい動いてましてでその保証問題を小池さんきちんと考えてらっしゃるのかっていうのも我々の心配してるところなんですよねで何にもお金のことを考えなくて移転しますってだけだと移転延期しますってだけだと皆さん不安だと思いますよ何百万もお金かかってますからうちの店だけ400万近くかかってるんですよねそれも全部自腹です、えー、知事、本当によくやっていただいたと思って、皆さん感謝しております、えー、この間もアンケートを取りましたら、80% の人たちが、えー、トイスに行きたくないということを言っております、えー、トイスに行くべきだと言っているのは、わずか 3% です、それを、あのー、他社の、えー、テレビ局がアンケートを取りまして、それをこの間、ついこの間ですけど、発表しています。本当にに小池さんには感謝してますそ
Uh, there are monitoring stations everywhere throughout the new facility. Of course, having something, having some kind of graph or some kind of, of a device up there offering you a reading on how much benzene there is in, in the air, how much of a certain other chemical there is. Of course, that would emphasize that there was chemical contamination at the site before, even though the number that might be there might be below the national standards of mm -hmm. safety. The, the fact that there is this monitoring going on would indeed create a, an oppressive atmosphere. Well, there was nothing else that can be done, is my, my first reaction. That's one of the issues. The other issue is that there's not enough space. We saw that in, in the video, that, and it, it's kind of confusing. They say it's bigger, but it's smaller. It's almost twice as big as the current Skiji area. Yeah, that's in terms of its total area. And yet they say it's smaller. And, and my understanding of that, if I understand it at all, is that the, the stall size is smaller. Now they are very small as it is at the Skiji site. And it's possible that within the building there is a restricted amount of space <clears throat> for the individual vendors to, and the individual uh, stall owners. That may be so, that may not be so. Uh, it depends on how one argues about what the area is, what the workspace is, what w work is allowed to in that particular workspace. So there's that issue that, ha but that doesn't really, that's not Governor Koike's problem. Right, right. Uh, the, how things are. And, and, and if within the various cooperatives and the various organizations that run the internal politics of Skiji, they can't figure out a way of moving internal boundaries in some ways to accommodate these various needs. Well, that's still not her business. Right. Well, this is coming kind of really late in the game. The building is already constructed. They've already had tours going through there. They're supposed to move there in two months' time. In November the 7th, yeah. That's was right. The, was the correct, was the, the uh, previous move date, yeah. I mean, there's an, an awful lot of momentum that's going there. I mean, you have to order you know, for example, these walk-in refrigerators, these, a lot of, you know, shipments. You have to get the moving companies. You've all got sorts of all things. these things that you have to do. But she said stop. And I think the reason why she said stop, I mean, she's picking a couple of very serious fights and picking on some, some guys that really weld a lot of political power in the Tokyo Assembly. I admire her for doing that because it's obvious that there's a lot of things going on kind of under the surface. I mean, people are complaining about the pollution or about the, the access. But I think really what people are, are upset about is that, you know, when this deal was done 20 years ago, it was three previous governor's administrations that, that it was done on, mm -hmm. that there was a lot of money exchanged hands. There was a lot of bidding that, that was required that people say, you know, this bidding process was not fairly done. That money has already left. And the people who enjoyed the benefit of that those transactions are now doing other things. Or they're, or they're pushing hard to keep to the deadline, we're gonna move by this day, because right. they, they, they're invested in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's, that's really the rub. I think that there was a lot of money that was made by certain pockets of whoever was making the decisions. And in this, this society, in this, this culture, you know, that's usually at the top, and people just you know, adhere to what, what the, the word was from on high, and they follow that. I mean, we've had conversations about this before, that the Japanese bureaucracy is widely admired and followed by, you know, the, the Japanese population as being, you know, right and, and honorable and, and doing the right thing. But in this case, the, the bureaucrats would be moved on by the process of seniority so that the, the ones who had been in charge at the time of the original 
bidding process or during the construction process, they've all moved on or, or are retired. What she's clearly focusing on are the persons who are still in place. Mm-hmm. And that can only be the long-term incumbents in the Tokyo Assembly. They've been there through the entire process. They have had their friends, whether it's in the construction industry or moving in or the trucking industry or whatever, they've got their slice. She's clearly looking, especially at one party, her own, the LDP, and its top layer of most of, of members of the of the assembly who've been elected and re-elected and re-elected so many times. They're obviously the targets mm-hmm. here. And of course the the head of, of the Tokyo Assembly's LDP branch, Mr. Uchida, is clearly her main target. Right. But don't you think if people were in line to receive the largesse of that kind of huge transaction, they're the ones that are going to be trying to cover the tracks and making sure that things went along and please don't look behind the curtain. That's right. But the thing is, they're, they're in office. They're elected officials. Unless you have some kind of criminal case to bring against them, what you're doing by ha- saying, nope, this can't go forward, is merely... Picking a fight. Picking a fight with them. Right. And they're not going to be in office for very long. I mean, I believe that all the incumbents are up for re-election in June of next year with a, with an, with a, uh, an assembly election. I'll have, but even so, they're there. Mm-hmm. And uh, goodness gracious, uh, what a way to start. I, I mean, yes, she did make campaign promises on this matter, and campaign promises should be fulfilled. But... Unless she has some backup plan, and many people say she does, uh, we're going to have a very Mm -hmm. seriously messed up situation in the Tokyo Assembly. Well, the Tokyo Assembly, not just the Tokyo Assembly, I mean, the the fish market needs to move. I mean, that's on path. You know, if it doesn't follow through, what are they going to do? And they have a highway that's going through there as well. That, That construction needs to start there are you all know, kinds of plans for that particular piece of land, and, and this delay merely uh, appeals to the vendors who are already there. Sure, they like being there. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably have their homes nearby. It's probably an easy commute. They probably have arranged their lives entirely around the fact that the Tsukiji market is where it's located. Well, you know, other people in other large corporations or large organizations have had to make do. Mm-hmm. The, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, for example, used to be downtown, and then it was moved to Shinjuku. People's lives got disrupted by mm-hmm. that. They lived through it. Right. And the same is true with the Skiji market. But in terms of the, the, the Gikai, I really have to come back to the pol- politics of it. There's been a lot of talk of Koike setting up a new party, and this would be much more than the national level. This, this assembly, this would she would probably be replicating what happened, what how she got into the diet, which was through the picking of assassins by Prime Minister Koizumi to take down his enemies inside the mm-hmm. diet in in the election that where she won her her first district seat. Maybe she's just doing the replication of that and is targeting all these old LDP guys, mostly, mm-hmm. uh, and saying, I'm going to make sure that I have my assassins next time you come up for election. Right. 
If she can find people to run for mm-hmm. her, I'm, I just don't know. Well, I don't think it was really an ill-fated decision for her to postpone the move. I, and I also don't think that the people who have the shops around the current Skiji really enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's like a, a Warren's nest. I mean, it's it's difficult. It, it's an, an astonishing concatenation of everything inside decaying buildings. Right. It's it's it's, it's to say that you need to stay there. Yeah, but but what if you want to do even the slightest bit right. of renovation, so, large parts of it will have to be shut down, and where are all those people going to be going to sure. do, doing their work? Sure, here's my objection, though. If you're going to move, I mean, everybody in the world knows what Skiji is. I mean, people who come to, I mean, it's the largest church attraction in Tokyo. True. Okay? So if you're going to move something like that, you want to move it, bigger and better and resplendent than what it was originally. I mean, and you look at it now and it's, I mean, the the paths for the tourists to come in are somewhat blocked. It's it's not, the access is not as good. I would have thought that they would have really front-loaded a lot of money in the architecture and the design so that it was, you know, even better than the old. But this is a 20-year project and 20 years ago, the, the concept that we have to make Japan tourist-friendly was in no public official's mind. It may have been in a lot of no, that's true. companies yeah. that were doing tour, trying to do tourism, but 20 years ago, they just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's only now with the Abe administration that we have a real concerted push in all respects to try to improve Japan's friendliness. Mm-hmm. Now, the Toyosu site is probably not just uh, tourist not friendly, it's probably tourist hostile. Uh, certainly, there are not the train or, or or bus opportunities that there exist with Skiji, or even the walking opportunities that exist. Because if you want to go see one of the early markets at five o'clock, and, yeah, at five o'clock, you better be nearby in some way physically. And Toyosu is not nearby to any basic right. center of where where people would be staying. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, uh, that's that's an arguable point for not moving Skiji, but. The site is decaying, Mm -hmm. and it was thought that 20 years ago they would have to move it out. And again, this is very, very similar to the situation between Haneda and Narita in the 1970s, where the the idea was we have to move the the airport functions way, 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 way away. What a huge boondoggle that was. It was a huge boondoggle, and and we can see echoes of that in the Toyosa move. Mm -hmm. And the only difference is, is that it's not surrounded by tens of thousands of radical students and tens of thousands of policemen fighting radical students. Mm-hmm. I remember when we first, when I first came to, to Tokyo, there was barbed wire all around Narita sure, and, right. and guard do- and guard. It was it was it was Berlin in Japan. Uh, it was a machine that that hasn't happened with the Toyosu site. But nevertheless, this this sense of moving things outward does have resonances to people. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I still think it's really, really an unnecessary cause of extra stress in what is already a tremendously stressed relationship between Governor Koike and the Tokyo Assembly. Well, we're going to see more of that. I mean, this is just the first volley, don't you think? If it's the first volley, then we're not going to have anything done for a very, very long time. And this city is way behind in its preparations. Yes. It is absolutely crazily behind. Mm -hmm. And a lot, and I don't know if you saw the the designs that came out 
for the new station on the Yamanote line this right. week. Just w- this week. Yeah, that, and which is going to use a lot of canvas and wood uh, to emphasize uh, nature. Uh, and I, I, I was looking at that and it, on one part of the newspaper and looking at the typhoon predictions on another part of the newspaper, I said, oh yeah, a canvas and wood station during typhoon season and the Olympics. Mm-hmm. That's going to go great. <laughs> uh, there are so many things that they're, they're, are not being thought out. They're not being worked on because they're... And, and, and so why have further delays? Right. Why have further problems? And that's what has happened. Let's get back to Tsukiji. Michael, I picked up this book by Theodore Bestor. Bester. Ted Bester. He's an I, American. I, uh, he doesn't go by that... European-sounding okay. Colbert kind of thing. He's an anthropologist at Harvard University, and he's an anthropologist and and a great book and a great book and a great and a great anthropologist and a great member of the uh, Japan Studies uh, community. Yeah, right. There's so much history and so much uh, tradition and culture that's embodied in Skiji. I mean, they call it the the uh, the refrigerator of of Tokyo, you know, the the, the, the kitchen of, the, yeah, of Tokyo. The, the cupboard of Tokyo, if you right. want it. Yeah, and it certainly has built into it, and this is part of what makes it hard to move, centuries of business habits. Now, mm-hmm. you can, of course, run right. things on a perfectly market-based pr- set of principles, but that's not the way that Skiji is run. Skiji is run through long-term relationships, through bidding processes that actually do not award things to the highest bidder or the lowest bidder, and that they work through all kinds of... All of those of, things that people love to complain about doing business in Japan. It's, it's part of... It's, it's, it's part of It's, it's, it's it? enracinated in yes. the entire culture. And when they're going to be moved, some people who have been, who've had shops next to each other for centuries will be in different parts of the building. There's no way to replicate Mm -hmm. the Skiji experience. And you probably kind of don't want to. I mean, it is a mess there anyway. I'm sure the reason why it's like that is because to accommodate the cramped quarters and you can only have so much space for for the fish to be imported in. And in fact, when they first built it, it was to be close to the water, and nobody uses the water anymore to unload the fish. That's or right. It's, it's absolutely. It. And, and the, the, but the, the Skiji area uh, and the Skiji fish market has been there for centuries. Mm-hmm. And it's been under the charge, actually, of a group uh, that came from, from Osaka a long time ago. Uh, and this market uh, is indeed tied intimately with the rest of the world. Because, again, most of the, the seafood that's tr- put through it actually isn't Japanese seafood. That's right. And, and so it is the market at the center of the world. And I think that's what Ted Bester called it. Uh, and at this point, you're, yes, you're making, doing something that's really bold, really big. And you're going to have a lot of people complaining very mm-hmm. loudly because it's their bailiwick. Right. And yet... You have to move on. Right. How about this argument? You know, frequently when um, uh, a building needs to be uh, demolished or an apartment building, and you you have somebody that just refuses to move, Mm -hmm. right? And in order to get them to move, you have to encourage them to voluntarily move. And that usually requires a payment of a lot of money, plus moving them for free to a new new location. Mm -hmm. There's an argument that this group that's um, opposed to moving 
to Toyosu. Which is practically all the merchants themselves. They're, they're against it. It, it. it disrupts their lives. Understandable. Right. And, and the, the argument there is somebody made a lot of money in this transaction. It's coming time for us to move. We're just going to put a stick in the ground and we're going to be really reticent and we're going to make a lot of noise until you pay us a little bit more and then we'll move and we'll be quiet. There is that argument that that's exactly what this is about. Uh, if so, then Koike, Governor Koike has facilitated in their extorting money from the from the public. Right. She wants to appeal to voters. I mean, she came in on a populist uh, campaign. She's she won tremendously. I mean, it was a landslide, and I think she needs to appeal to those voters. The move needs to go on. I just you know the the layout, the design of the building is far superior to what it is now. But yes, the the different stalls that the merchants are given are smaller. They're not enough, enough electrical plugs. There are a lot of things that they're going to have to work out, but this is a design for the future. And it's something that's been planned for a long time. But in terms of Koike Yuriko and her political career, perhaps this is going to be a feather in her cap. Who knows? Uh, if indeed all of these old guard LDP members who have so far snubbed her or made her life uh, difficult Payback. Get get knocked off, mm -hmm. all the better for her. But now that I've seen those videos and look, heard from the merchants themselves, it's clear that a lot of work was left undone by previous governors. Right. Uh, whether, that, whether she's going to be able to work that out, and in, indeed that's the whole point of it, to bring the merchants along to it, that's an issue that maybe does require there to be a delay. Right. Well, the full videos of all of the interviews that we held will be available on our YouTube channel soon. Please stay tuned. We're going to continue to follow this. This is a big issue. It's a big fight for Koike Yuriko. Please stay tuned. We're going to watch it and report to you. Welcome back. North Korea fired three missiles towards Japan just as the G20 was meeting in China. If you want the definition of provocation, Michael, this is it. It's amazing what the North Koreans are willing to do nowadays, especially since the host of the G20 meeting in Hangzhou was, was China. And for them to reach out with their testing program and also send missiles very far away from their coastlines all the way into basically the EEZ right. uh, of Japan, where without warning, so that if anyone had been in that particular region, there was a very decent chance, well, quite remote, all right, but still, there was a chance that some they could actually have hit someone. Wow, you really are going all out against anyone, mm -hmm. even the people who are supposedly your friend. A couple of weeks ago, they launched it from a submarine. That was a big deal. That was a huge deal. It's, an, it's a big leap in terms of technology, right. and it certainly makes it very, well, it, it's kind of an interesting thing having to do with the MOD here. The MOD, the Ministry of Defense, would like to have some kind of capability to engage in, in preventative or uh, preemptive attacks, mm -hmm. so that I mean, even though that would seem to be utterly violating Article 9 of the Constitution, that you would be able to do a preemptive strike against a North Korean missile site. If you have missiles now on submarines, forget it. Sure. You're out of that business. Right. So it's a very interesting play here, but in terms of international capabilities, it's a huge jump. Right. People watch this very carefully because there are signals that they're trying to send. I mean, they're not trying to 
hit Japan, they're sending signals. But oh, oh come on! Oh wait, did you saw? I don't. know, Maybe you didn't. But if, in the in the photographs that were that the North Korean news agency released, they had very at one point they had, they have a, a uh, missile range map, and if you blow that up, the 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 line, the circle. Most of Western oh, sure. Japan is yes. inside that range map right. that's, that they're holding in celebrating while they're celebrating the successful mm-hmm. launch. Yes, it is. Well, <laughs> yes, the trajectory had the trajectory been moved. Yes, they would have been able to hit Japan. That's that's one of the signals that they want people to to pay attention to. The other signal, though, is that these missiles were fired from mobile launch pads. Now, that was another one. Yeah, you know, it's going to make it very difficult again for this any kind of. Preemptive strike. Mm-hmm. If you if you have a fixed launch site, then you can fix on it. Uh, but here, if they're from mobile sites, that you're, the game's over. Right. At least in terms of Japan's capabilities, not in terms of the United States's. But the United States is not going to go to war with with North Korea over a potential mm-hmm. missile strike, especially if they have this constant stream of tests. Right. When is it suddenly actually a sneak attack? Mm-hmm. You will not be able to tell. Well, the Japanese have four Aegis destroyers, state-of-the-art destroyers. With, with SM-3 anti-missile systems. Right. Yeah. And two of them are pretty much dedicated to the North Korean issue, and then probably the other two are down toward the Spratleys. Well, no, no there's the, the thing you have to understand about one uh, an Aegis destroyer. It can take down missiles over an immense area. Basically, the map of Japan is a very long country in terms of, of distance, and then its territories, its maritime territories, stretch very, very far to the south. You would only need two Aegis destroyers to cover the entire area, and all of South Korea would be covered as well, and, and Taiwan as well. So mm-hmm. that the, a single Aegis destroyer can take care of a vast area. The, the uh, comparison is that uh, if in, instead of having land-based missile systems in Europe, which is what they have, if they just bought three Aegis destroyers, all of all of the EU would be protected from mm-hmm. missiles from anywhere. They are extremely effective weapons platforms and defense platforms. Uh, the only thing is that they have to rotate out, and the other thing is that they have to see the missile coming. Right. And you can do matters with, with angle, with, with trajectory, so that the, the, the missile's already splashed down before you've actually had any kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. And there is some question about what, if anything, the Aegis destroyers saw. Right. Well, the other thing about one of the weaknesses of the Aegis destroyers, it has trouble locking in when... More than one missile is fired, well, that, and they that, fire two around the same time. That sounds to me like budget, you know, poking for bu- an extra budget uh-huh. allocation. Four of, of Japan's six Aegis destroyers have the missile systems on mm-hmm. them. This sounds like they're just trying to get them for the other two. And hello, okay. hello, hello, January, hello, new, new national budget. That's I, I'm I'm really cynical in mm-hmm. this regard. Well, I, they I have, have to be because. I, the capabilities of Aegis destroyers are really fantastic. Mm-hmm. They had a, an emergency meeting at the prime minister's residence, and they made a decision. If they launch, let's try and shoot them down. They weren't very successful. Well, that's one of the things that's really peculiar about what the protocols are at this time. Right. Because the missiles, at least the missile tests, are landing not within Japan's territorial waters, but within its economic exclusion zone, what 
are the orders that have been given. How provocative is this provocation? Yeah, that's right. How, wh- how, at what point do you shoot it down? Mm-hmm. Uh, my good friend Robert Dujaric at, at uh, ICAS, at the Institute for Contemporary Asian Studies, says, imagine what would happen if it were the Israelis. You know, the Israelis would, it wouldn't even make it to the EEZ. <laughs> there would be no question that sure. every single one would be shot down. He, with Japan, it's, it's very vague as to, you know, what would really be considered a, an actionable threat. Sure. Right. Well, it's kind of like the North Koreans thumping their nose at the Japanese. Cause but they thumped their nose at, the, at their, their you know, <laughs> Chinese oh, friends. Right. Right during the middle of the G20 doing this. They could have done it another week. Sure. But it's just absolutely offensive. In every the way. What are you going to do about it? I mean, really, what are the Japanese going to do about it? I think they're testing that limit, and it's a it's a pretty dangerous game. But I think it's a safe one that they can play. Well, it is true, and 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 there is of course the aspect that the North Koreans are extremely convenient for the Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, because whatever Chinese misbehavior there may be, and there's plenty of misbehavior currently in the South China Sea, mischief islets, the, the, the mischief reef, and this is really incredible. And the the North, but you, the Chinese can always say, yeah, but. Look at Pyongyang. Come on. We, okay, maybe we're not entirely up to snuff, but look at Pyongyang. Right. And that argument actually is pretty good. Yes, <laughs> right. Well, they waited until after the G20 summit finished, and now all of a sudden the barges, the ships, are going over towards the mischief reefs. It looks well, like the, the, the Scarborough Shoal is becoming a very interesting situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there dredges there? Are there construction ships there? Is it just... Chinese Coast Guard vessels and fishing vessels, their usual mode of operandi to, to modus operandi to get things all heated up. What does this have to do with the relationship with with uh, between Japan and the Philippines, which got a lot warmer mm-hmm. uh, oh, it, when, when Duterte sure. met with with Abe? And he the, didn't say anything about Abe's mother. He didn't say anything about Abe's mother, and uh, he also gladly accepted. One of top of the line ships from Japan's Coast Guard as par- a new package mm-hmm. of uh, maritime security uh, goods and services provided by Japan. Right, and this time they're not used or or mothballed. These are brand new ships. The brand new ships and the biggest ones that Japan makes, mm-hmm. big armored and with a good sized cannon on the front. To kill, I guess, to, 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 to deter illegal fishing. A good-sized cannon is not going to help very much. I mean, <laughs> well, what the Chinese have done is actually brilliant. They have built an artificial island out in the South China there Seas. There are many of them, yeah. Yes, and they're, they're developing this. I mean, the Americans are flying threateningly by, but the Chinese say, look, we're just building tourist spots. Yeah, they say that. Uh, but let's try to get back to the DPRK. Okay. Uh, well, no, the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning that is because it is a kind of a trade-off. You know, the, the more threatening, the more provocative the North Koreans become, the Chinese could probably use that and say, look, we'll have them stop that. They won't be shooting any more missiles past Hokkaido, right? We'll just have them stop that. But this thing that's going on in the South China Sea, please turn a blind eye to it. There may be that because they're cer- they certainly, the, the, the Chinese government certainly has not appreciated Japan's moves toward increasing maritime security in the South China mm-hmm. Sea, getting involved in that situation and, and have warned them off directly. Uh, certainly having the DPRK messing up far Northeast Asia 
is in their interest. And also having the ability to pull on the chain, maybe, uh, when, when, the, the, when the attack dog gets a little right. bit too, too ornery, is something that it's one of their diplomatic tools, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, the Russians were involved as well. They, they had ships also in the South China Seas, you know, and this kind of combination between China and Russia as opposed to, to Japan has got to be, you know, really somewhat scary because, you know, Putin and, and Abe are going to be meeting. They're going to be talking about the Northern Territories. Who knows what's going to happen there? Maybe some horse trading. They're certainly going to also be talking about North Korea and whatever pull that Russia still has there. Uh, as and, and if Abe doesn't use that, well, then he's really not making a, a good use of the Putin Abe friendship that we've mm -hmm. seen, and we and we 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 saw that again in, in the meetings this last week. Uh, we and we have now a summit that's all set up. It's right. all it's but. It, for some reason, the DPRK doesn't get put into a box. And right. its missile tests have been constant. It had a nuclear test, a quite successful one. We are now past a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And they are going to have missiles that are reliable. The, until the past few years, they've been putting up these Tepodongs, most of which are have been careening out of control or have to be exploded soon after takeoff, whatever. Now they're going to have, they will have this consistent large missile testing program that is going to perfect these things. Right. And at the same time, they still have the nuclear program going on. It's a new ball game and it's an extremely dangerous one. And Japan has no means now right. to respond to it. What's the end game here? God, who knows what the end game is. I mean, they could keep developing and developing, having better missiles, ones that could hit, you know, continental United States as well. Well, that's, that's all, the way to, all the way down the line and, and, and certainly would provide another level of U.S. involvement. Right. And, and another way of actually pulling the U.S. and holding it and keeping it involved in the Northeast region. That obviously is not in China's interest. Right. For what purpose would that, would that be? be? Yeah. And it would have a great deal of anger toward the DPRK for having created that situation, which may be one of the reasons why we're seeing such short-range missiles mm -hmm. being tested right now, as compared to long-term, long-range Tepodongs, which do bring the U.S. into the into the equation. Until it becomes. It's really up to the Chinese. Right. They're either playing a waiting game with the regime in Pyongyang, or it's simply part of a they're worse than we are game. Right. That really makes it so that it's very difficult for Japan and the Japanese government and the Abe government to be as standoffish and successfully standoffish toward the Chinese as they have been. Right. Well, you remember in the Clinton administration, they awarded concessions to the North Koreans to stop the nuclear program, to settle down, to calm down a bit. They were somewhat successful, but then they ramped up again and looks like they were schnookered. Well, that, I don't think that's at all the case. I think we schnookered them too. We never delivered the, the, the nuclear power plants that we promised in terms of the, the, the light water reactors that were supposedly going to be paid for and, and constructed by South Korea and Japan for the power needs of the country. And yes, South Korea, I mean, North Korea at night is jet black. Right. There's just, they have, they have no means of powering uh, 
anything except seemingly these manufacturing sites for advanced weaponry. Uh, yeah, both sides, both sides reneged on it in, mm -hmm. in one way or another. Uh, the, the issue, though, is the Chinese should be in charge of their satellite country, but they're not. Right. And while that might have short-term benefits for the Xi administration, in, term, in the long term, it's going to go badly. You, it's just not going to end well mm -hmm. unless a miracle occurs. And you can't rely on miracles. You cannot rely on the Kim dynasty to suddenly get someone so upset that someone shoots Kim Jong-un in, in the head. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead, he's shooting other people in the head to make sure they don't get any uppity ideas. Mm -hmm. When you're relying on that kind of behavior and that kind of level of, of sudden surprise disruption, we're, in, we're down a dangerous road. Right. Being provocative is what the North Koreans do the best. Please stay tuned. We're going to continue to watch this. It has ramifications geopolitically all throughout Asia. We're going to watch this. You should too. Welcome back. Japan's largest opposition party, the Democratic Party, is in election mode right now. Three candidates have thrown their hat into the ring. Michael, who's your favorite? Oh, you know who my favorite is, but that's because I, I have nothing but prurient interests. <laughs> uh, Renho, who is also the senator for Tokyo, where we, we both live. She just ran in the election and won. And ran in the election and won, won resoundingly, number one vote getter. Uh, a well-spoken former television and, and academic, sort of. She has an academic background. Great. A really bold new change. A woman running one of Japan's major parties. Yes, the Socialist Party had in its history women leaders, but now we have a centrist conservative party being led possibly by a woman for the first time. Big change. Mm -hmm. And she opened up the campaign first, she was the first to declare, right. and has put together a, a quite a broad coalition of interests within the Democratic Party. She looks like she's set. Right. The three candidates don't really look that different from each other, though, and that's one of the main criticisms of people who are Democrats that want to vote in that election. Well, I'm not, well okay. Madenho is a part already of the existing administration. She's part of the Okada administration within the party. Maihara and Tamaki are outside of that power structure. Maihara, very much outside of it. Uh, the, if you want to have some kind of sense, I suppose you would want to say that Renho is of the left wing of the party, though she herself is more of a centrist. And Tamaki is, a cent is somewhat between her and Maihara, who represents the hardliners mm -hmm. within the party. Now, hardliners in a Japanese sense, is right. is would would be extreme left wingers in most countries, uh, but Maihara represents the part of the DPJ. Oh, I'm sorry, there I'm using the old terms. You and I have been here too long. Uh, the Democratic the, the, the Party, DP. The, the DP. It's so hard to say. The DP that uh, is entirely comfortable with many of the policies of the LDP, particularly the policies towards security. They would be pretty much okay with the security legislation with minor quibbles about the constitutionality of right. what Mr. Abe did. Uh, 
But in terms of altering the Constitution, so making it possible so that the SDF are fully constitutionalized, Maihara has in fact made that part of his program right. and saying that's what I would do, mm -hmm. which for what is supposed to be the liberal party as opposed to the conservatives of the LDP is, a, is staking his ground well within LDP territory. Right. Maihara was the foreign minister when the LDP was out of power and he seems to be one of the most friendly to the United States He's interests. extremely friendly to the United States and is always being invited to Washington. He probably goes there every May during the, the Golden Week break when all of Japan's politicians fan out across the globe. There's a certain group within the DP, uh, Nagashima Akisa is also in that group, which are basically commuters between Tokyo and, mm -hmm. and Washington. But Maihara was also, he has one downside, and that is he has experience. Right. He's a former leader right. of, the, of the DP. And you guys dropped the ball. Why would I want to elect you again? That's right. And yeah. he, he dropped the ball in a dramatic fashion with a bogus, a, a faked email that he claimed uh, in the Diet had been written by the Secretary General of the LDP involving all kinds of nefarious dealings between himself, his son, and Horiemon, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Horie Takafumi, having to live do with door. live door and all these things. And it blew up in his, his face when it was revealed that it was an entirely a forged uh, email string. There was not a single thing true about it. And he right. brought it up in the diet and it confronted uh, Prime Minister Koizumi about it. And Koizumi said, if you want to talk about it, that's fine. Somebody must have been in the back row laughing. Their, their tail off. Yes. Actually, it had actually a tragic uh, ending. The person who originally provided that email to Maihara, uh, he was drummed out of the diet and eventually committed suicide. Uh. He, he, he was quite mentally disturbed. Uh, and and, it, and it's, it has a sad coda. So it's not all ha, 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 ha. Right. There's, a, there's a tragic side to it. Uh, but Maihara is damaged goods. Mm -hmm. And he's also from the extreme right side of the party, the side that basically are LDP wannabes. Mm -hmm. So it's bold of him to try to go for the party leadership and you know, all power to him. But it only came after every other member of this conservative wing said, no, thank you. We don't want to try. How about Tamaki? Tamaki is lower house member. It's it's that that is uh, one of those weird. Why are they doing this kind of issues? Mm -hmm. And it's basically so that it's not two people. A two it's person three. race. It's a three person race. For some reason, that makes it acceptable. It's, it's for form. It's for form's sake. He was encouraged at the last moment and was able to cobble together really the night before the 20 names that he needed to run as the candidate. It's not due to some kind of dramatic policies mm -hmm. that he has or some kind of personal appeal. It's just so as to avoid a binomial struggle right. within the party, which could be quite damaging and divisive. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, okay, there are three people. They're, they're somewhat different. They're all younger. This, and if, if, if one person wins, it's okay. Sure. I think it's a, actually an effective strategy because it gets newsworthiness into something that's rather sleepy. The Democratic Party having an election, who really cares? It is the largest opposition party. And a lot of people say, I wish there was a two-party system here where, you know, issues could be really well vetted. Well, issues are exactly what this has not become because of Renho's other main attribute, apart from being a woman, in that 
well, as is indicated by her use of a single name, she is not of only Japanese parentage. Mm -hmm. Her father comes from Taiwan. Right. And it's that second aspect which has grabbed a lot of attention in that there is question now whether when she was 17 years of age and she formally accepted and took on Japanese citizenship, whether the procedures for renouncing Taiwanese citizenship, even though Taiwan is not recognized by a country except for by Japan, Japan doesn't recognize Taiwan as a country, even though that that took place, was it actually formalized? Mm -hmm. And we have this election date, and suddenly there was a request made to the Taiwanese government, can we see what the documentation is formally confirming that she renounced Mm -hmm. citizenship and they said well we have to go look for it this happened over 30 years right. ago we don't you know we'll see if we can find it uh it, it it's exists but it's somewhere who's who cares i and, mean it's not a big deal but it is a big deal for japanese conservatives and for people who despise the democratic party and it, it the the twitter is absolutely aflame right, right now with all kinds of anti denho articles blog posts every kind of social media communication possible over mm -hmm. this procedure that was carried out. I think it's a distraction. It is a distraction, but it's distractions matter. And in this case, it is bringing attention to the- Dual citizenship. The dual citizenship issue <clears throat> in and of itself, but also to the race in a negative way, mm -hmm. which plays only to the LDP strength. Right, that she's not following the rules, she's a member of the parliament and- She's, she's in, lied in the yeah. past about her actual status. Her story, and it's quite it's quite reasonable, is she went first to take Japanese citizenship and then went with her father to the representative office of Taiwan. And he spoke with the local the officials in Taiwanese, and she doesn't know Taiwanese. She knows she knows she knows Mandarin, mm -hmm. but she doesn't know Taiwanese. Right. And she actually doesn't know what he said. Right. And that's why they have made this application. Please find the documentation. Just in case, and this is where the, the, the web has gone absolutely insane, she was advised to make sure and apply again for renunciation just to make sure mm -hmm. that that procedure is done exactly as it's supposed to, right. which she's done. Okay, but dual citizenship, why does Japan have this rule where you can't have dual citizenship? I mean, there are plenty of, of kids, individuals, grown-ups, who were born here that came from a mixed marriage, they have the opportunity to have dual citizenship, except Japan doesn't acknowledge that. It doesn't bother with children, so that children can use two sets of passports, and, and the Japanese immigration officials are cool with that. Right. I with, mean, your, your kids must have. They have, they have uh, dual citizenship. They have two, two passports, passports right. and they can, they can make this, the trip, right? Uh, but it, when it becomes to adults, you can't do that flip that mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of Europeans do with U.S. and Japan, U.S. and European passports. They check into out of one European capital with a European passport, and bing, when they arrive right. in the United States, they flip out their U.S. passport. The Japanese are just really persnickety, aren't they? I mean, uh, they, they there seems to be a, a persnicketyness if there's some kind of issue, mm -hmm. and that's basically. If you erase the issue, maybe maybe if there are dual citizens, adult dual citizens, and we certainly see in the entertainment mm -hmm. industry, in the fashion industry, and definitely sports, 
uh, a lot of folks with dual citizenship or should have dual citizenship. Uh, How are they running things? Uh, Is it it just simply ignored? Is it it enforced? Who knows? But in her case, her parents and she made a definite choice at the age of of 17 and did choose Japanese citizenship. Mm -hmm. And certainly members of the Olympic team are required to make that choice. At least they used to be. I don't know what the case was uh, with uh, Cambridge, uh, who, who actually I saw him the other day. Here uh, in Tokyo. Here in Tokyo, trying to blend in with his fellow college students. It's not going to work, I'm afraid. The poor guy is going to be hounded for the rest of his life. That's what happens when you, when you win the first silver medal in 92 years for in track and field. Well, Anyway, aside from that, the the dual citizenship issue in her case is becoming a distraction, and the distraction is one thing that the DP doesn't need. Right. This election is such a big deal that they requested that the convocation of the new diet session be delayed until the election is finished. Yeah, they've actually going in hat in hand to the LDP is probably not one of the best things you would want to do, one mm-hmm. of the things you want to do in terms of the opposition. And they have to blame Makata for that, but they're going to blame Makata for everything. Right. So that's easily and quite easily disposed mm-hmm. of. He's gone. Those bad decisions, they're out. Whoever it is, whether it's Tamaki, whether it's Maihara, or most likely it's going to be Renho is in charge, it'll be a clean slate. I agree with you. I think Renho is going to come clean on this one. She's going to be the new leader of the Democratic Party, the largest opposition party in Japan. And we can expect lots of fireworks after that. She is on a mission, isn't she? She can, she's on a mission. She, she talks mean enough. And she can, she can match Abe, more than match him, in terms of give and take right. inside the diet. That is going to be, if, if Abe ever gets into a situation where he's in question time, and one of his great strengths has been avoiding that supposed gentleman's agreement, it'll have right. to be with a gentlewoman now, to, to occasionally talk about policies directly with the leader of the other party and have a give and take. He's managed to push those mm-hmm. off all, all the time. When that happens, the, the contrast will be stark between the two of them. Well, it needs to be. I mean, the Democratic Party has not had that fire and brimstone in their gut for quite a while. It's true. And she has, the, one of the reasons that she can be uh, so important for the political process here is not just her dual citizenship, not being just a woman, but she really brings the fire mm-hmm. back into politics. And politics is about fights. Yes. It's about pushing things. And my advice to her, if she, I mean, I'm, here I'm being quite presumptuous, Mr. Abe is the first prime minister who has ever had most of his support coming from people, at least if we look at the polls, who say, we don't see anybody else who's appropriate. He's okay. Right. Well, whatever. She should come in and say, I'm appropriate. Right. I'm what's, you know, I, I am the other tekito, the other pro- appropriate person. I'm someone who can be prime minister. And, and she's, pl- she's said she's going to move into the house. Into of the rest. lower house. She's going to throw her head in and go for the lower house and that's where that, the prime that, minister that's come. where the prime minister comes from mm-hmm. and she's telling us you know we're, this is not i'm not here for for symbolic purposes right. i'm here to be a new government mm-hmm. center and there is going to be a new government and it's going to be different all power to her but first she has to get past this election
Who said Japanese politics is boring? Please stay tuned, this is a big issue. The Democratic Party will have an election and their new leader will take charge before the Diet Session opens. Please stay tuned.